Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. everyone. I just wanted to quickly jump in here and mention that there is a way for you to support me keeping this podcast and all my other free resources going by donating a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassy sober mum. Helping people is a huge passion project for me And as my audience grows, I'm understandably spending more time helping people, replying to messages, creating and updating content and building this podcast. All donations are gratefully received and they really go a long way towards covering costs like my Zoom license, my hosting fees, managing my website and not to mention my time. So... If any of you are loving the continued content and wish to support me, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassysobermum. Or you can click the link in the bio section of my Insta page and find a button there to buy me a coffee. Thank you. And now let's get stuck into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'll be chatting to Jade from Lincolnshire and she's been sober for 323 days. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me Jade. How are you? Yeah good thank you. Jolly good. Um, So why don't we jump in? Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and yeah we'll get into your story. Uh, Yes, I'm Jade uh, from Lincoln. I'm 33 years old. I'm married. I have four-year-old twin boys, which is as crazy as it might sound. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I work full-time, so is my husband. And in any spare time, if I do get any, I like running, go to the gym, and very recently, crocheting, which I'm awful at, but it keeps me entertained on an evening. Oh my God, girl after my own heart. I absolutely <laughs> love crocheting. <laughs> isn't that funny? It's quite rare, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> as long as it's a square or very simple, I can do it. <laughs> exactly the same. I I don't know why, but I've always been obsessed with the granny square. And um, I bought, I used to buy them from the charity shop, those blankets or from, you know, from the hospital. And then yeah. in lockdown one, I just thought, right, I need to teach myself something. I'm going to learn how to crochet. I had, to, I literally had to YouTube that about 40 times to keep remembering how to do yeah. it. But I feel like I'm in a flow now. So what's your, <laughs> what's your thing? Do you do the granny square? Is that your? I don't do the granny square. I do like a corner to corner blanket. Oh, and if, it's really simple to do just a triple stitch. And again, I have to YouTube it. 
yeah. but you can make them as big as you want and anytime anyone that I work with or know has a baby you get a blanket <laughs> I'm exactly the same I love that and, and my daughter as well because I have an 80 oh no, actually I think she's 19 months now she's got um yeah she's got a whole drawer full of blankets <laughs> which you know fortunately she loves them so that's great that's so funny love that um Amazing. So uh, let's jump into your um, your your story with alcohol. Can you describe your life with alcohol? What did it look like? Um, it's very similar to a lot of people's stories. It started very young, being allowed to have a alcopop at family parties. So I thought, I think like immediately got put on a bit of a pedestal. It was like the treat to have. Mm. And then with friends, as I got later into my teens, you know, drinking, drinking at sleepovers, stealing parents' alcohol and and then getting really, really, really drunk at 14 um, to the point that, you know, vomiting and just horrendous. Yeah. And it just was something that we talked about and we thought as a group of friends it was really funny. Mm. Um, and that just evolved into going out 15, 16, binge drinking on weekends and just thinking it was great. Um and my parents, I mean, they were great parents, got a great relationship with them. They were quite liberal in that we were allowed to go out at 16. I've got an older sister and it was the same with her. It was like, oh, well, if you don't get served, just come home. Um, so, yeah, and that then just kind of carried carried on and followed me into, as I became a like, young adult into my professional life, I started my career very early at sort of 17, 18. And... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, binge drinking, thinking it was okay, blacking out, just laughing about it afterwards. Um, the biggest shift in my adult life was becoming a parent. Obviously, that binge drinking, it slows down the opportunity to go out. Obviously, it's not as prevalent. But I massively got into what I didn't know at the time was the mummy wine culture. Mm. I was, I loved that. I loved the oh, you know, mummy needs to have a gin, mummy wants to have a wine. And then if I did go out, it was still getting blackout drunk, still. And what I find ridiculous is I wouldn't go out until the, my children had gone to bed because that made me a good parent. Yet the next day, they wouldn't see me until two o'clock in the afternoon because I'd be so hungover. I didn't want them to see me and I didn't want to be anywhere near them, which was yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but so common though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. It's like you're. It's it's weird, isn't it? That thing about the sort of childhood, and you know, is is that a British thing? I I don't know. Mm. But my childhood and my story is almost identical to yours. Yeah. And I think that word that you said there, that that liberal, um, it was liberal, wasn't it, back then? And I, I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, but I remember getting bought bottles of Taboo and Tia. Oh, <laughs> There's a blast from the past, isn't it? But you know, at, for, at 16, for my for my 16th birthday, which was also on Christmas Day, and, and Archers, because I always used to like oh, Archers yeah. and Lemonade. And I and I remembered having like being quite proud to show off to my friends that came around Christmas evening, like look look at my three or four big bottles of grown up alcohol mm. at sixteen, and and everyone just thinking that's all quite you know okay, it's, it's quite mad. I mean when you know you're a mum, I'm a mum, 
Could you imagine, actually? And this is not to criticise our parents because it was a thing at that time. It was just the way yeah. life was. So that's not that's not my intention. But you know, now as a as a mum, would do you think you would do the same sort of thing? I don't think absolutely I not. No <laughs> way. Not buying booze for my sixteen uh, year old daughter. Um, yeah, and that mummy wine culture. That's I mean that is. It is such a destructive culture. Um, and you mentioned the two drinks there that I think are really overly marketed and to women, and that's gin and wine. Yeah, They're, absolutely. The two things I would always go for. Yeah. I mean, you can just walk into any, um, you know, well, in, in this country, we go to Sainsbury's, don't we, and Morrison's and these big supermarkets. And there will be huge aisles of pink gin mm-hmm. there's just so many gins that are pink and that's clearly being marketed uh, at mums and you know for for mummy wine time um and were you in a sort of mummy group jade where you know that that was a thing or was that something more just on your own at home the mummy wine time thing um yeah we so i, I do have a, a group of like the mum friends and it would always be the uh getting mum drunk yeah like mums were the worst and we would yeah it's obviously great to see your friends and things like that but we you know go out for a meal and it just oh I think I was probably the worst it, I just descend for me it knew it, it was never enough and yeah. even if it was just a dinner party at someone's house and they'd opened up a bottle of wine they could just have one or two and stop whereas I'd be like oh no we're we not carrying on are we not getting smashed why like for me there's just no off switch yeah I couldn't understand people that could just have two and just stop never got it no same same <laughs> I I, ne- I ne- never did that I never did that I, I and I, I actually I, I posted about this the other day and I I would feel quite broken <laughs> being in company where somebody wouldn't you know the party wouldn't continue I, yeah. that would be like one of the most uncomfortable situations that I would be in which is madness now isn't it to think about you know how how uncomfortable not having enough booze would make you feel it's yeah. just yeah it's just crazy um so what point um talk to me about when it became kind of problematic what what did that look like it was I sort of thought about this question and it's really long-winded because it wasn't a moment it was a moment many moments yeah it all started I think for a lot of people it's the same was lockdown it just changed everything for me I was in a job where I wasn't a key worker so I was just sent home with no real provision to remotely work my husband was a key worker he was out and I had the children with me at the time were almost two so my weekends just bled into midweek and it was okay. I could drink on a Wednesday because I didn't have to go to work the next day. It didn't matter if I didn't feel, if I felt a bit under the weather because I just had to parent and not go anywhere. But then it got earlier and more regular. And then all of a sudden my children are going to bed at two o'clock for a nap in the afternoon and I'm going, oh, I can have a drink. Mm. That's acceptable. And then... It was, whereas I 
married with kids, I probably wouldn't drink in the house before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden it was, that's all you could do. And it was regular. And then I, I now had an excuse to get drunk in the house as well. So the regular drinking then turned into weekends would be drunk. Yeah. It just got, it got so much. And then I think the, the, it lifted slightly in the summer of 2020. And there was two incidents that I was able to go to people's like gardens to have a gathering. And one of the, one, the first one, I got blackout drunk, walked home on my own at two o'clock in the morning. Chris had already left with the children. I was like, oh, you just stay. You're obviously having a great time. Um, and that was when I first ever put it into Google. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I ended up at Catherine Gray's, the unexpected joy of being sober. And I bought it and I, it was, I laughed afterwards when I watched and just like that, when, um, Miranda bought the book and she didn't remember buying it. The, and if you watched it, she Mm. bought the quit like a woman drunk and forgot that she'd done it. That's good. I rem- I remembered buying it and it arrived like a few days later. I sort of scurried it away and was like, oh God, as if you'd done that, like you only had one night on it. Like, don't worry about it. Then it happened again at another friend's gathering in the garden and I got way too drunk and felt like, felt awful all the next day. And then I read it and it was just like this whole new world opened to me. I mean, it's 2020, so the, the blogs and the Instagram accounts were all there. The quitlet was all there. I just never found it yet. And I felt like this massive discovery of, oh my God, look at all this. Like this exists, this, this world. And that's when, I mean, I'd love to say that that's when it stopped, but it didn't. But that's when I started to slowly dip a toe in it and educate myself and read the books and start into the podcasts. But then until uh, 2021, I sort of, was on the bus, off the bus. I'd put a few days together. I'd put, I did, I'd quit for Len. Uh, but then I'd, you know, there'd be an event and I'd, it was always peer pressure. I was having to tell other people that was my biggest worry. Um, I tried to moderate, which just takes up so much time and effort. It's unreal. There's no point. Uh, like obviously still in the binge drinking because I'd go weeks without it, find an excuse to drink, get absolutely drunk, regret it, go back into the quitlet, go back into the, into the resetting on the apps and things like that. And then it was one silly little event on, and it wasn't even an event. It was a Tuesday night. I bought a bottle of Prosecco. I'd had the classic bad day, made an excuse to buy a bottle of Prosecco, drank the whole thing and woke up the next day and had to go to work hungover. I had to pretend to not be hungover on a Wednesday at work. And I was just so ashamed and so ridiculously, is this it? is this your life? Like, because I've been reading the books at this point, I knew I didn't like it. And I knew with the education, what I was doing to myself. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to drink. And it was just that last bottle of Prosecco. And then that was it. I reset my app. I got all the Quitlet books back onto my e-reader. I favorited all the podcasts again. I had just loads of little things that I then just know this is it, you have to put your time and effort into this and get some serious days under your belt because you're just back and forth in. I, w- I could maybe get two, three weeks at a time. And then, yeah, I just I snapped. Having to pretend not to be hungover at work was just horrendous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So powerful, that story. Um, <laughs> honestly, it really is. It's, it's so inspiring, that story. 
I think one of the biggest questions I get is, you know, how do you start people feeling so desperate? How do you start? Mm. And I, I posted about this today. I was uncanny. And you have just described exactly what I posted, which makes me feel so happy because I think like you, um, Unexpected Joy was the book that I bought, actually, which kind of sparked my, you know, sort of cascading into proper sobriety. I, mm-hmm. I bought that book in the February of the year that I quit, and I quit in the April. So it was two months after. But that book was quite life-changing. Um, mm-hmm. And my story is so similar to yours in that it wasn't anything wasn't a big rock bottom or anything like that. I just went out. I got too drunk with mates again, and I just woke up, and I started, something snapped. I'd had enough. I'd just got yeah. to that point where I thought, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. Um, and and then I read the Alan Carr book and, you know, The Easy Way and Stop Drinking. Yeah. Because then we go off on our own little, you know, in our own <laughs> routes, don't we? And we, we do what we we need to but I just find your story so powerful because um I think that dipping a toe into sobriety is so important and it really is the first step to changing your life and I try to say today in my post you know just because you think you know I might want to be sober you're not going to be completely sober tomorrow it is a process you need to build a bit of knowledge like like you said you need to read and do, you know, listen to some of the podcasts and just start to embed some of that education uh, so that, that, you know, even if you do keep drinking or you do a few weeks and then you have a slip up or, you know, whatever the cycle is that you go through, you cannot unlearn that stuff. It is in there and it only mm-hmm. over time, however long it takes, it starts to strengthen, I think, the foundation in which one day you just wake up and bang, that's it. You go for it. And yeah, I just I just think that hearing that, Jade, will help so many people that listen to this podcast because it feels manageable when you tell it the way that you just explained, you know, that everybody can get a book or two or listen to a podcast or two and just start to explore. Everybody can do that. And that's what's so accessible about your story. Um, So it's amazing. And so what did you do then? So obviously you did this like bit of a build up, you did a bit of reading when you woke up and on that Wednesday and you went to work and you were feeling angry and frustrated, been there, it's a horrible place to be. Yeah. What did you do then? Just completely, 100% dived into it, all of it. If I had my headphones in, it was a sober podcast. If I had my book in hand, it was quit lit. I very early on had myself made from a little company. Um, I had a date put on a little key ring alcohol-free and I did that really early like at like three weeks I was so determined and I would put that on my keys when I drove out somewhere like a talisman um I bought from another uh Belle from Tired of Thinking About Drinking she did she does a few little bits I bought a charm from her website that said it's about time and that's massively how I felt about it you know I'd been on this on and off again for like 18 months and I just it's about time and I put that on my bracelet when I went out and no one needed to know it was my little yeah. thing just for myself and the difference was as well this time whereas 
before I'd sort of spoken to my husband or I'd spoke to my friends and said, I'm thinking about quitting. And everyone goes, goes oh, you're fine, you're fine. And then you mm. start to believe them or you want to believe them. Uh, so this time I told nobody and I did it massively on my own. Not on my own in that I was obviously on Instagram, looking at site, looking at people's posts, looking at oh, blogs, reading people's blogs who were on a day similar to me just to understand what they're going through. Um, I do a journal anyway. I have done for years. I just write it out at the end of the year. I just chuck it in the bin. Um, so I just focused all my journaling centered around that, um, centered around how I felt each day with not drinking. Um, Russell Brand's book that he explains the 12 steps because I never really wanted to go down the AA route he explains the 12 steps sort of in his own way as well. So I, I read that and like kind of went through those exercises as well, which was, which was really good, really good, really cathartic to do. Um, but yeah, just massively submerged myself in the whole alcohol-free world, but quietly didn't really, I think they call it like a lurker. Mm-hmm. I was in it, but I didn't, I didn't really interact with anybody online about it. I just kind of just did it in my own little time. Yeah. You didn't come out early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny as well, isn't it? Because um, I, I think I had had two bouts of sobriety before quitting for good this time round. And, you know, I am a sort of person that I, I am quite all or nothing. And I like to jump into things and this is it now. I'm doing this yeah. amazing thing, this big, all this like gym program. And I'll convince everyone why it's totally amazing. And then two months later, I'm just not doing it anymore. And so I am a little bit like that <laughs> by, in my nature. But I, I was actually the same, actually. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't broadcast it when I went sober I, I I I couldn't because I had the same experience people breaking their backs to try and convince me that I was all right which which obviously now with the benefit of hindsight I understand all of that psychology really well yeah. and I understand that you know other people's reactions around your drinking is saying everything about them and nothing about you but you don't know that at first. You don't know that. And you feel very, very vulnerable in the beginning. And you just want everyone to accept everything. And, and they don't. And they, with, with drinking, it brings out it brings out a lot of passion and debate. You know, people yeah. feel very passionate about other people getting sober. Um, so I was the same. I only told my husband and a couple of very close friends and I just kind of kept it to myself probably for about six months. And then I started to drip feed it, you know, to, to other people. But even, it, you know, you and obviously we're connected on Instagram and you'll see that I'm very warts and all with my story. I put everything out there. I don't hide anything. But on my own personal social media, I literally say nothing about my sobriety. I just, I, I don't. I don't really, I don't know, I suppose there's still um, um, a sort of, not awkwardness, but I don't want to push it on to other people. I want people that really want to hear about my sobriety to really hear about it. But for everyone else, I sort of spare them of, of, of all the, I only post my milestones of sort of a year sober or a thousand days sober. And I get hugely warm 
response from people but it's just not something I even to this day three and a half years in I don't really overly share it in my very personal sort of space if that makes sense strange um what was the book the Russell Brand book I haven't read that one can you remember the title yeah I'll have to have a little um it's uh, I can't remember off the top of my head the uh name of it but it's his sort of take on the 12 steps it is a recovery book it might actually be called that probably yeah yeah because he's a obviously he's got his own experiences and he's yeah it's brilliant yeah so he's got um book wise he's got um freedom from our addictions it's called recovery freedom from our addictions is it that yeah that's one yeah it goes into the 12 steps and how Mm. though you might not be overly religious this high power doesn't necessarily have to be God, which that really spoke to me and then yeah he kind of got he breaks it down and goes through it and there's little exercises and I really enjoyed that one that was a really good one oh that's great I haven't um I haven't explored that one so it's always it's always good to have something new to read um so what did what did the first hundred days of sobriety look like for you um so at this point you know it's I've had this frustrating day and I'm looking back at my app that I have and I'd had 22 resets and it was probably more. I probably just forgot about the app. So my first hundred days, I was so, so determined. I, it felt like the pink cloud. I was, I was there. I was present. I was, this was happening. But at the same time, it's so difficult. It's like two truths can exist at once. I also just took it one day at a time. And I never said forever, but the first hundred days, I think for a lot of people, when I did Lent, I felt like I was white knuckling, but this one, because I was so determined, I was, I was adamant that I was going to do it. And I had a lot of events the first hundred days. So because it was the end of October, I had, um, Christmas and my birthday's in January. Um, we went, might not have quite made the first hundred days, but we went away to center parks in February. So I was a lot of things happened very quickly. I experienced a lot of stuff sober. Yeah. Um, and that gave me, it gave me a massive boost. It gave me a massive confidence. Well, I've done Christmas now. I've done my birthday. Um, and to do that within the first hundred days was just such a confidence boost that, that I can do this. Yeah. But then I never said forever, which I, I will, uh, yeah, that was just a really good way of dealing with it. Yeah, I think forever sounds really, really scary, but at day seven it does anyway. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I, it's so funny. I put the same thing in my post this morning as well. Oh, I said, honestly, not seen it. <laughs> it's so funny. Like if you see it after this, you'd be like, "Oh my god, yeah." yeah. But um, it will be like complete twitties. But um, I, I said the same thing. It, it, the post was aimed at people that were in the sober curious phase, or maybe had just stumbled on the my page and just thought well this you know this is I, I maybe I'd quite like to try this you know so it's like very this is my tips on how to get there um and one of the things I said was set small realistic targets you know nobody wants to say that they're going to be sober forever on day one like or day seven you know it's yeah it's it's it can be very overwhelming to approach it in that way um for me actually I um I did approach it in that way I I did say I'll never drink again and I really meant it and I had that determination that you talk of which you know is so strong isn't it when you've got to that place 
it, it just yeah. puts you in such a strong mindset. It's, it's amazing. Um, but, it, you know, it everybody's journey to going alcohol-free is different and everybody's version you know or road there is okay you know it doesn't have to be the same for everybody and I'm just I'm so passionate about that message you have to go in you have to write the story for yourself you know take the bits that you like from others but but basically build your own path through and if you don't want to say forever that is absolutely completely fine and I also understand that as well I can definitely understand the psychology of you know, doing, I would say to people, try 30 days just to see how it feels for 30 days. And and then maybe at 30 days, you might be able to extend it to 60 days, or maybe you need to go away and then come back, you know, and just, yeah, it's just about trying, isn't it? Trying what works for you. Um, so Christmas, that is probably the biggest social yeah. milestone on anyone's early sobriety calendar. How did you approach Christmas? Because that's coming up a lot at the moment in my DM. Yeah. People are very, very afraid of Christmas. I think um, if it had been with my side of the family, it would have been a lot more difficult. Uh, that would have been the routine of having to explain why, why I'm not drinking every day, like we normally would have. But yeah. we had it with my mother-in-law, um, who's not a massive drinker. So as soon as I sort of, well, I first bought myself some Fortnum and Mason sparkling tea as like my treat to have on Christmas day Lovely. So I ordered that in and then that was like my Christmas day little treat yeah. to have um offered my mother-in-law some she's like oh this is wonderful and then when she had the open champagne she said would you like some I'd like oh no thank you and that was it it wasn't talked about and it's gonna sound really cheesy but I'm gonna say it anyway it was quite possibly the best Christmas I've had as an adult oh, because my amazing. children were three years old at the time so it's just magical for them they're really understanding what it is opening up the presents and just being there for every second of it was brilliant and I just loved it like not feeling fuzzy or feeling like they're getting in my way and mm. we'd got them bikes so even though it was freezing we wrapped up and went out on the bikes and I just loved it um it just so proves you do not need it you do not need alcohol to have a great time yeah oh it makes my hair stand on end <laughs> honestly it really does um I, I've yeah had three Christmases now sober and I absolutely cherish and love Christmas day so much more than I ever have done in my whole life well maybe not as a very small kid but you yeah. know certainly as an adult um just not having that distraction of yeah. right, okay when can we get the drinks in when can we open the champagne when can we have this when can, and just that like, like you say that fuzziness and that fogginess you know and it's oh it's just it's just so beautiful when you take all that crap away and you can just enjoy I mean it, it's a very busy day right with kids yeah. Christmas day it, you know I don't know about you but for me, it starts at a crack of dawn. I feel like I've been up long. Day. <laughs> I feel like I've been up five hours by eight thirty a.m. You know, <laughs> I, I feel knackered by eight thirty. Um, but you know, just to have the energy to cruise through that day 
and mm. you know enjoy the food enjoy give you know the gifts and enjoy watching the kids and having all the different parts of the day as well like that sort of afternoon relaxing or like you say going out for a bit of fresh air and sort of winding down at tea time and you know, it's just it's magical and yeah. drinking ruined I, I realize now in hindsight, ruined all of that magic for me. It just made it another day of just getting pissed up and feeling, um, yeah, crashing out in bed, not really being tuned into anything and feeling horrible the next day. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it's, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, I, and I've got a friend who has just, she's, she's on about 100 and, 10 days or something uh, sober at the moment. And she's, she's loving it. She's having some difficult feelings to deal with, but mostly she's loving it. She is terrified of Christmas. Um, and I met her for coffee the other day. And I, and I said to her that, um, you know, because it's hard, isn't it? When you're trying to coach somebody sort of through that, especially a friend as well. I said, you know, if you, you know, what you'll probably realize at the end of that day is that you will not, um, you will have wished that you hadn't worried so much about it because it will surprise you how much you will enjoy it. And the confidence boost that you get, actually not just getting through a day like Christmas Day sober, but really enjoying it, you can't beat that confidence boost. It just, you're right, it gives you such an important boost in, in early yeah. sobriety. Um, by the way, sparkling tea, what is that? I <laughs> That sounds amazing. I didn't even know. I was just looking for something for a treat. And then we, yeah. we always buy the uh, tea and some biscuits from there at Christmas as like a bit of a treat. And then I just saw this alcohol-free sparkling tea. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll try some of that. I'm going I'm, I'm to look into this. I yeah. love tea anyway, big tea fan. So sparkling tea sounds divine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what, um, what was the hardest bit? in getting sober for you? So there are two. One was uh, because I did, because I've done it all quite quietly and to myself, the constant questions and mm. the constant, just have one and oh, we're having such a good time. Wouldn't it be better if you were drinking? And almost having to assure people, reassure people, I'm having a good time. Don't worry about me. I'm having a great time. I don't mind what you're doing. You You do what you do, but feeling if I have to constantly say, no, I'm sure that I don't drink. It's, I'm not putting myself through anything. I, I want to not drink. Yeah. Like, I'm drinking just as much alcohol as I want to drink, and that's none. And, yeah. And then the other side of it, which even though I think I kind of knew because I'd already read the books and I'd already educated myself, but you still don't expect it to happen to you, is having to dive through the barrage of emotions that just hit you and I feel like you I didn't realize how much I was dampening my life down and life's emotions by just having too much to drink on a weekend or through the week mm. and then having to deal with basically life sober it's hard it's hard to describe until you've gone through it and it's happened to you but like I saw a really old friend the other day and I've not seen her for 10 years and I've seen her, sorry, but I've not seen her, her mum and her nana who I'd been really close with as well. I'd been right at the houses and stuff like that when we were a lot younger. And I sort of just floods of tears, just crying when I seen them and big hugs and things like that. And that wouldn't have really hit me before. And it was just kind of, 
I apologize to them for being a bit of an emotional wreck, but just being so overwhelmed. And But then the confidence that comes with then getting through that and experiencing it, am I making any sense? <laughs> you, you absolutely are. No, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it's so um, hard to verbalise. It is. Yeah. It, is a, it is a really tricky subject, this, isn't it? But, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I don't know about you, but people, in early sobriety, people would talk about, you know, the difficulties and feeling feelings. And I honestly didn't know what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, was, I was thinking, but, yeah, it, it took a while for, for me, for, for the feelings to, to come up. And then suddenly I would be crying and I, and I wouldn't really know why. And I'd just be yeah. feeling all these different emotions. And it was quite, um, not scary, but I just, it felt like an out-of-body experience in the early days um, because this really was the first time I was ever properly feeling anything, I think. Like, don't get me wrong, I have had moments of pain and things in the past, but I very quickly dealt with pain by having a drink. Um, mm. But to just be really, um, to use Annie Grace's word, to be naked, essentially, with all these feelings, um, it, yeah, it, it, it is It is challenging, but it is also something that you only really start to understand once you've been through it a few times and then you start to, okay, you put the pieces of the puzzle together. This is what they're talking about. These are those difficult or strange feelings or emotions that are coming up. And, you know, I just need to feel them. <laughs> and, that, you know, it sounds so simple, yeah. doesn't it? But you just need to feel them and accept the way that your body and, and is reacting to, to those feelings. And, and then you can just sort of breathe a sigh of relief, can't you? That, okay, well, I've, uh, and maybe you say, oh, well, you don't mind me. I'm just having, you know, yeah. this or that. <laughs> but I think with that comes an acceptance as well. Um, and I think even just verbalizing it, you know, I, 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 I even say to my children now, sometimes if I'm not feeling great or if I'm a bit grumpy and they're quite young still, but I will say, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling very good today and I'm not really sure why. And, you know, and I'll have those conversations. I sort of validate those things now for myself and I accept them. And I think that's just actually is a really lovely thing to do. It's very simple, but it is actually really yeah. lovely to do that. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is um it is it is a weird one, uh, the feelings coming up. And um I, I I used to remember feeling frustrated when people say, You've got to do the work. And I'd be like, Well, what is the work? I know. Oh, what are you talking about? Just tell me. <laughs> yeah. I used to just feel like, why can't people just hand me a book of the work exercises? <laughs> and and I, I I got frustrated about that because it felt like a big part of sobriety that I was missing out on. I didn't know what people meant. And I think it's only with time you start to feel feelings, you know, maybe cry more or feel a bit down in the dumps or maybe super overly hyper. I don't know. It could be different, you know, depending on what's going on. And then you can start to look back and reflect and go, okay, starting to make a bit of sense for me now what this work is. I think I kind of thought I'd got away with it. We've almost been at 11 months. And it's only really happened in the last sort of two. And I was like, oh, so it's, though I feel a little bit more confident, I'm at easy jogging in, in being alcohol free. 
I'm sort of the efforts there, but it's, you know, I feel a lot more confident in it. And then to be hit with this, mm-hmm. the emotions, I was like, Oh no, we've still got to, we've still got to go back in. We've still got to <laughs> continue. And there's a lot more to do here and it's fine. It's fine. You get through it, but it, yeah, it was, it was a shock. That was a, a big shock. Moving into the, the gains of sobriety, the rewards yeah. of sobriety, what's been the biggest gain for you? Um, lots of things, but the biggest one that's had the biggest impact on my life currently is the clarity that I think maybe as a, as a, as a result of having to go through the feelings and do something like that, I, I feel so clear in my life and I feel like I trust myself. I trust my decisions. And I've very recently, I've been in the same profession for sort of 16 years. Um, I go away a lot with work and it was getting me down a lot. And I was really upset being away from my children quite a lot. And then, so this year, and I, I feel like maybe the past years I've just drank those feelings away. And whereas now I've had to go through those feelings of being away quite a lot, quite frequently and getting really upset about it. And then going, do you know what? I'm quitting my job and I've quit and I'm starting a whole new career soon. And it's just, I would never have made that decision two years ago. I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have trusted myself enough to do that. Um, and I feel like it's going to have such a positive impact on my family life, never having to go away and so frequently going away in my job. Um, so yeah, clarity, huge. Wow. That's well, that's that's amazing, isn't it? Um, so what would you say um are your three top tips uh, either to get sober or you know when you're in sobriety? What what are those top three tips? Um the first one which really worked for me is is just submerge yourself in it, whatever that looks like for you, whether that be a, like a physical in-person meeting or trying to find those people to go hang out with or just Instagram or reading or podcast, but everything, let it be, allow it to be everything because you can do that because I did in a way that no one needs to know if that's what you want as well. It doesn't have to be out there. It doesn't have to be you posting about it on your own social media. It's just, but just submerge yourself into the world of, of, of sober um, because there are so many people out there, so many podcasts like yourself and the Instagram accounts that, when you just, when I hear people on your podcast or other people saying, if I could just help that one person, and I feel like I have been that one person, that one little lurker just in the background, just soaking in all the information. Just, if you get into that world, you'll realize that you are absolutely not alone in it. Mm. Yeah, everyone's got their own very similar story to you or something that you can relate to. Uh, yeah, definitely. So just some immerse yourself in the alcohol-free world uh, so the second one uh oh it's an age-old one but it does work so much like just the one day at a time like don't say forever if that's too scary um just don't just say today just do today and then deal with tomorrow if you think you've got a big event coming up that's that's a future you problem deal with that when you get to it just deal with today today because yeah if you've been submerging yourself in it, then this adds on to, onto this one. I guess they all kind of overlap in some way. You know, if you start to feel yourself feeling a bit shaky, right, get your phone out, get your book out, 
get a quote out that you love. I've got notes on my phone just filled, like filled with quotes that I've enjoyed from other people's books or something that I've heard. And I just have a quick read through them. And I just thought that was brilliant. But yeah, just one day at a time, which is, again, it sounds so cliche, but it's, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And then third, <laughs> and again, when I, used to, when I was making the decision to do it, I didn't like this one either. But then you realise it's so true. If that's all you can do, if, if staying alcohol-free is all you can do for that day, that's all you need to do. It's, I can only I can like it to when you first have a baby and they say, oh, just everything else can wait. Everything else can wait. Like, And that's how I feel about this, um, or how I felt about it. Maybe you had to say no to the odd social event because it felt a little bit too much too soon or you don't want to train for the marathon because I, like, I love running and it, I did a lot less running. I kind of let my fizz and my training slip a little bit because I just wanted to not drink. It was the biggest priority in my life outside sort of my children and my job. And yeah, so if all you can do that day is not drink alcohol, that's, that's also fine. Um, I think we're people are trying to help and like fitness magazines and things like that they say oh quit drinking you'll lose loads of weight like that's probably not that true um mm. so just don't yeah don't expect that don't do too much don't i'm gonna quit drinking and go on a diet no just yeah. do yeah the no alcohol route yeah. yeah yeah almost have laser focus on it isn't it mm. just, you know make that your like you say outside of your important priorities like work and and family that is your priority you have to do anything you you in everything in your power to protect to protect that such great tips there um yeah oh jade it's been so good um to talk to you and to hear your story and I know I know I know that this is going to really help people I think there's been some real gems in in this podcast um and you know and every podcast although we've all got quite similar stories everybody brings something different to the table and everybody has a different slant and I I just think that's amazing and super super powerful um so if you are open to people following your journey where can we find you so I'm on instagram at at jade falls by 13 don't share too much about being alcohol free on there um but I'm gonna go a year next month so I think that might be the day yeah that's <laughs> a it. little it's a big milestone. Yeah. what are you gonna do for yeah. your soberversary have you, have you I don't it? even I don't even know I've not even thought about it um I'm not even too sure my husband knows the exact date I'm have to let him know before but yeah and treat somewhere I think <laughs> yeah I um I do I do the same thing now um I go and buy myself a Colin the caterpillar cake <laughs> I and I, I basically eat the whole thing to myself <laughs> it's like a birthday I like exactly that. I, like that. I go I have it for like have I have cake for breakfast you know I I have probably uh, in one year, I did actually eat the whole cake, and uh, I had a real shock. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit excessive, but um, yeah, no, I, I always buy myself a Colin cake, and um, and I celebrate it. And, and this year, I told my children, you know, it's my soberversary, and they say, "What's that?" <laughs> say, "Well, it's because mummy doesn't drink wine," and I celebrate that. And so, yeah, so we, so we all get to benefit. 
Um, but yeah, you are coming up to a year. That that's absolutely, absolutely awesome. And uh, thank you so much for being open and for being honest and for being you and and for coming on my podcast and sharing your story. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. And thank you, everybody else. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.